Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to day one of the French Open 2023 live from Tennis Podcast Towers, Paris. And I say live because day one of Roland Garros is still, as we come to you, underway. We have Jessica Begula, who is on the cusp of victory over Danielle Collins on court Suzanne Longlen. Uh, court Suzanne Longlen, David, that I'm sure will come up a lot. Oh, yeah. Over the course of this episode, we've just watched Luca Puy, a complete victory over the man that he also beat in the final round of qualifying, because uh, he ended up getting in as a lucky, lucky loser. So, Matt, the the incredibly emotional Luca Puy story that you told us about a couple of days ago continues, and I feel like it's going to be big at Roland Garros. Yes. Or maybe already is big at Roland Garros. I think it's probably the biggest story so far, I think slams are always elevated when when home players are are doing well and nobody saw this coming for Luca Puy and I think everyone is just so so pleased for him he beat Yuri Rodionov again much more straightforwardly than he did in in qualifying he nearly lost in qualifying but there was just no chance of that happening today he he won very convincingly and special scenes on on court 14 at the end there was a big rendition of the Marseillaise afterwards which is you know the French Open started when when the Marseillaise is being broken out I would love to love to join in with one of those these two weeks I do love the Marseillaise it was all so quintessentially early days of Roland Garros wasn't it sort of uh, a day session match overspilling into the evening sun sort of dipping down over Roland Garros it's it's an outside court but still one with the uh, with a good amount of space in the stands, every inch of which is is filled with just tennis fans going absolutely bananas for for an incredible story. I yeah. mean, I didn't know everything that, that Matt had told us about Luca Puy until he told us a couple of days ago. And now I am all in mm. on Luca Puy. And you can, maybe I'm editorialising too far here, but you can see it on his face, can't yeah. you? What he's been through. He looks like he's been at at sea yeah, for, I think for a few years that's well put and I think because you can compare it to the man that we remember beating Rafael Nadal at the US Open in five sets at the US Open and, and leading the French Davis Cup team and honestly had you told me that he was going to be a man that Matt would tell us had suffered with depression and, and alcoholism I really wouldn't have expected that just from the little that I knew about him and the the kind of uh, the vibe that he gave off to me. And I think that just goes to show how, how you can never know. You don't know what's going on behind somebody's eyes and in their life and in behind the closed doors. And, uh, and he'd clearly been suffering. And, um, and I always used to think he was just somebody who was just very loose and took, took the, found the sport very easy and maybe struggled to commit because of that. And, uh, and I realized that I got that wrong. Um, and he is someone watching that TV picture tonight. I felt 
very connected to to what I was witnessing and wanting it for him. I, you know, don't mean wish bad on his opponent who he's beaten twice, but it's <laughs> but you know. The whole, it was quintessentially Roland Garros. I mean, that everybody buys in. Every, no, everybody knows what this tournament is who comes, and they're all on board. There's not one person that's rolling their eyes at those situations. They're all into it, and I was really happy for him. Ranked 676 in the world is Luca Puy. And my suggestion today for a Matt Stat was, oh, I, I bet nobody's ever won a, a main draw uh, Grand Slam match or French Open match ranked that low, and I and, I, and Matt said, "Oh, that'll that those that data is so not readily available. It'll take you ages to research." And I thought, "I'll oh, I'll prove him wrong. <laughs> I'm going to set out down this road and show what a great research assistant I can be." And Matt sort of kept gently saying, "Yeah, I, re- I really wouldn't bother. It's <laughs> too much work." And then after after about twenty twenty five minutes of me sort of narrating my toils at, at the laptop matt goes i think i'll just see if I email the atp <laughs> and they'll be able to tell us i think you'd got to 2019 and we were hoping to go back to 1968 <laughs> it was it was going to be a, it was it was going to be a long day one of us has got experience of stats on this sofa I it was <laughs> my opportunity can, but, to prove myself mm, well, i, think I you, mean i mean i would like to make two points that a i was grateful for the help and B, I don't always take shortcuts and cut corners with my stat. I do, I do like doing the research, but there were just, there were just certain parameters. It was going to take all day. It was. Anyway, I've emailed Greg Sharko at the ATP, and he's come up with the answer. So oh. we, do, we do know the answer. Luca Puy is the lowest-ranked man to win a round one match at Roland Garros in 10 years. So actually, you weren't that far away from potentially I finding... I could have made it. Finding out. You, I could have made it to 2013. You could have contacted mm. Greg Sharko and said, hey, Greg, guess what? Guess what I have found? <laughs> you don't even need to go and dig it up. Greg, um, what a legend he is, by the way. And that yeah. was Pablo Cuevas was number 762 when he beat Adrian Manorino, who we've... Just watched lose. I mean, to be fair, we didn't really watch it. No, we? we just became aware that he had <laughs> We're lost. We're aware that it happened. Yeah, he lost to Hugo and Bear in the final match of the day on Chatrier. Uh, this episode of the Tennis Podcast and all episodes of the Tennis Podcast throughout Roland Garros is brought to you in association with On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. On Location can arrange the most fantastic tickets and hospitality experiences via Steve Fogel's International Tennis Stores to all of the four Grand Slam tournaments. That includes the US Open, and you have just three days left to use your 5% discount on a ticket and hospitality package at Flushing Meadows in New York, as well as the best tickets. You can get access to all-inclusive food and drinks in a lounge and a rooftop bar in between matches. To use your 5% discount code, just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast, click the US Open discount section and enter the code FINALSLAM. You have until May the 31st at 11.59pm Eastern Time to use your discount So the race is on. You have just three more days. And check out our show notes for the fine print. Now, it's it's interesting, isn't it? The evolution of the Sunday start at Mm. Roland Garros, because it used to be a very damp squib of a start, didn't it? It used to be kind of, we're introducing these Sunday starts, but slightly apologetically. It was like, don't worry, the... The names you've heard of will play on Monday. It'll feel like it's starting on Monday. We'll just we'll just do a little bit on Sunday. And over the years, they've kind of bigged up the Sunday more and more. I still don't think it feels like a proper full throttle start. Like none of us were expecting to see Svantec or Alcaraz or Djokovic on the schedule today. But bigger names than there have been in the past, I think, given... Everything I've said there, Arena Sabalenka, probably the biggest name that, yeah. that we saw. And she got the dreaded Ange-Jabeur slot yeah. opening up Chatrier today. And tennis-wise, there's a lot more besides the tennis to talk about here. But just to cover off the tennis, first of all, because on paper this looked like a tricky draw against Marta Kostiuk, and especially given the slot she was placed in and what happened to Ange-Jabeur and everything last year, I thought Sabalenka did 
fantastically in this match. She was a breakdown, wasn't she, in the opening set, and then surged mm. and was pretty brilliant from that point onwards. And that's been a real pattern of hers this year. I, th- I feel like she's been most vulnerable in a lot of matches early on. Certainly going back to the Australian Open, that was... That was the pattern of so many of her matches. And yeah, she, she did go break down, a couple of double faults in that game. I had just picked her to reach the final in our predictions. And that was a weather forecast based pick because hot, sunny, fast conditions that we're expecting certainly over the next week, hopefully over the next two weeks, I feel like should really suit Arena Sabalenka. You know, she gets enough time on the clay to to hit her shots and if it's hot and sunny they're going to go through the court and that is exactly what happened once she got that break back I thought she was absolutely awesome for the rest of the match creating all sorts of angles off off return uh, just hitting through the ball so powerfully so confidently all the things we have come to expect from Marina Sabalenka and a, a very impressive performance in a in a round one match that was you know, tricky because of the fact that Marta Kostiuk's a very good player and also, as Sabalenka said herself, emotionally quite tricky going up against a Ukrainian and, and, and knowing that there'd be so much increased attention on it, I suppose. Yeah, and there was. There was, there was something that we were expecting, which was no handshake between the players. They'd played... Um, before, hadn't they, since the the invasion of Ukraine by by Russia, supported, of course, by Belarus. They have played since then. Kostyuk didn't shake hands with uh, Sabalenka then, and she, she hasn't, as a rule, been shaking hands with any Russian or Belarusian player. So we knew that wasn't going to happen. Sabalenka knew that wasn't going to happen. But it seems like the crowd maybe didn't know that was going to happen. And there was a moment of of great discomfort and confusion where... The crowd booed Marta Kostyuk for failing to shake hands with Arena Sabalenka. Sabalenka became confused and thought that they were booing her and the whole situation had to be cleared up in the on-court interview. Yeah, so Sabalenka's initial reaction, as you said, was that they were booing her. Uh, Kostyuk had obviously sort of left the court, so we didn't really see her reaction in real time. Uh, but Sabalenka did a sort of bow to the crowd after after she thought she'd been booed and then sort of I think the wheels turned and she realised that they weren't booing her so she then thanked them and then in the on-court interview she said sorry thank you for the support uh, and then of course it all it all came up in in the press conferences yeah so on those press conferences that was where I don't want to call it drama because, you know, it's all so serious um, and that makes it sound like a soap opera. But there were some quite dramatic words that ended up unfolding in these press conferences. Sabalenka was in first. Matt, you were in both of these press conferences, so I'll ask you for a bit of colour. But I'll just just to make sure I get their words right, I'll I'll read you out some of the the main The main quotes that come out, Sabalenka, she said, about the war situation, I said it many, many times, nobody in this world, Russian athletes or Belarusian athletes, support the war. Nobody. How can we support the war? Nobody, normal people, will never support it. Why we have to go loud and say those things? This is like one plus one, it's two. Of course we don't support war. If it could affect anyhow the war, if it could stop it... We would do it, but unfortunately, it's not in our hands. That's the part about Ukrainians. Now, those quotes were put to Marta Kostyuk in her very, very moving press conference. She followed Sabalenka, not into the same room. She went into a slightly smaller room. And Kostyuk had this to say. She said, I feel like you should ask these players who they would want to win the war. Because if you ask this question, I'm not so sure these people will say that they want Ukraine to win. She said, this is something life-changing, I think, in the world of people, because this is the biggest difference there is. Because if you ask me who would, who, would I, who would I want to win the war, I would say Ukraine, of course. I don't know how it will be over, but I want Ukraine to win at the end. But about them, she's talking about players like Sabalenka, I'm not sure. She should talk for herself, I think, first of all, 
then talk about all the other other athletes because I know, I personally know athletes from tennis that support the war. And then she goes on to say, someone like Irina, who is traveling the world, who is who has a big platform of people who support her. She says, I speak out about these things. And I see like the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, the BBC. There are so many platforms that millions, billions of people in the world read. And just to reject her responsibility of having an opinion on the most important things in the world, I cannot respect it. She said that I hate her. I never said publicly nor privately nor to anyone that I hate Arena Sabalenka or any of the players. I just don't respect her because of her position in this situation. Matt, you were in there. What was that like? The Sabalenka press conference was extremely tense. Uh, it was it was a very long question that was put to Sabalenka that prompted that response that you read out there. And the journalist asking it was was quite emotional while asking it. And I think that prompted quite an emotional sort of tone to Sabalenka's voice as well. And there's, there's always that thing that you can feel in a press conference where you suddenly realise, OK, this is the story. And everyone is suddenly a little bit on edge and everyone falls quiet, everyone pays attention. It's someone who might have been on their phone at the back of the room is suddenly locked in and it was it was just extremely uh, tense i would say kostyuk on the other hand was well it was my main thing was just how extraordinary it was that a 20 year old was a having to talk about topics like this and be doing so with such thought actually um and insight i i really felt like the distinction that she made between saying she doesn't hate Arena Sabalenka, she just doesn't respect her was 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 quite an interesting take. She was she was keen to say that sort of hate is an emotion, it's an emotional reaction, whereas she just thinks that Sabalenka is rejecting her responsibility, her position. Uh, and so she's judging her on that action, which is why she doesn't respect her. She spoke again about her personal circumstances in and how her family is now spread out all over the world and how hard it is for her to go home. And she made the point that she thanked uh, Wimbledon for the way that they're offering accommodation for Ukrainian players. And she felt that generally the reaction to Ukrainian players last year at Wimbledon was, you know, was really supportive. And she expects that to be the case again this year, whereas... She quite rightly said that the players who, you know, the people who booed her in the stand, she said they should be embarrassed uh, and they would look back on, on surely in a few years' time and, and wonder why on earth they did that. Sabalenka herself said that she thought it was not right that, uh, that Kostyuk was booed. Um, and I think that was probably the strongest statement I've ever heard from Irina Sabalenka in terms of what her position is on the war and but then I do also take Kostyuk's point that there's a distinction to be made and perhaps a further question to be asked uh, about who she would want to win the war but I don't know I, I don't feel like I'm the authority on what is a and isn't a legitimate question um, and I do think it is difficult for these Russian and Belarusian players I mean Kostyuk made the point that she doesn't see how it's difficult for them. And of, of course, relatively to the Ukrainian players, it isn't. that They're not experiencing anything like that. But I can also understand why they're sometimes a little cautious. And I don't think Sabalenka was cautious today. I think she made her, her position pretty clear. Gosh, it's all, it's all so fantastically difficult and, and muddy, isn't it? And... Um... Yeah, I mean, hopefully it goes without saying that, you know, it's not an equivalent. We know everything is just unthinkably terrible for Ukrainian players and their families and their situations. And perhaps we should be talking about it more, shedding more light on the particularities of those situations. You know, Kostyuk talking today about how she doesn't have a, 
a training base. You know, we, we all remarked, didn't we, after the, the Wimbledon press conference, how fantastic it is that Wimbledon, that was the biggest takeaway from me of that press conference that Wimbledon, not just for the tournament, but throughout the grass court season, are going to pay for the accommodation and expenses of all Ukrainian players and two, was it two team members? I think it was. Throughout the duration of the grass court season, in recognition of the fact that players don't have anywhere to go. They've, They've lost their homes. You've got players entering... ITF events just so they've got somewhere to to be for a week yeah and that's I I share Matt's thoughts about feeling a little unqualified not not so much about asking the question in my case because I think that I I, I'm comfortable maybe asking the question and I think Marta Kostyuk makes a good point it's still it's a difficult question to ask and maybe it is unfair on one level but I think it is also valid um, it's where I feel unqualified is to judge their responses. I can't put myself in the position of Marta Kostyuk. I can't put myself in the position of Verena Sabalenka either. And they're both different positions. Certainly it is more difficult for the Ukrainian players, no question. But it is also a pretty difficult situation for those Russian and Belarusian players. And and I I kind of think Sabalenka's doing what she can do mm. really but it's so it must be so hard to hear it if you are one of those Ukrainian players and I really do understand that so I, I'm not going to sit here and tell them what they should should and shouldn't say mm. it was an interesting moment in the press room wasn't it that it was like sort of first day as I said you know no Svantec no Djokovic everyone's thinking what's the story going to be and you know a ripple went around the place. It was, okay, we, we've got our story for the day. That was it, you know, and suddenly you hear the banging of fingers on, on keyboards yeah. and the, the, the place is, is a light, isn't it? Um, sticking with the women's draw then for a bit, we had, we had an upset or did we? We lost the eighth seed in Maria Sakkari. But we all thought we were going to lose the eighth seed, Maria Sakkari, when we saw the draw. Who did you actually think was the favourite in that match, out of interest? I mean, before it took place. Well, I wanted Mukova in my predictions, but she had already gone by the time it was my turn. And I don't think... Um, I mean, give me credit if you'd like to, but I'm not saying that to get credit. I, I think I think Sakkari's vulnerable in these matches because of all the things we've ever said about Maria Sakkari, particularly recently. And you know what a believer I am in Karolina Mukova. She is such a good tennis player. Why is she good? So good. Why do you like her? She makes tennis look so easy. And it's such a contrast to Maria Sakkari, who I really like Maria Sakkari and I have... I have completely different positive emotions watching her, right? You know, it's so effortful. And I'm so, so thinking about all the work she's done in the gym to achieve everything that she is. And I marvel at that and it's amazing. But it is so effortful. Mm. And by contrast, you've got this smoothness of Carolina Mukova. And sometimes the the sort of very typical Czech demeanor on, on court uh, of sort of, you know, still waters, that placid demeanour. Sometimes I find it difficult to engage with, difficult to get my teeth into, but it doesn't bother me somehow with Carolina Mukova because it's all just part of the, just the laconic smoothness of her. And it's, it's lovely. You went out to watch some of this, Matt. I did. I went out to watch most of the second set. And if you'll indulge a... Fulham analogy to describe the difference between Maria Sakkari and Carolina Rukova. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Fulham Man United was just starting as I was as I was out there, and I was having dual thoughts: tennis and football. And suddenly, it came to me that down Fulham's left hand side, we have a left back called Anthony Robinson, who is an incredible athlete, but sometimes he 
struggles to do quite basic things like put in a good cross or <laughs> control the ball or pass to a teammate <laughs> you know the ball. Yeah. he doesn't he doesn't have the soft touch but he's got a lot of incredible qualities he runs up and down the pitch all day he's he's an incredibly useful asset to the team and just ahead of him on the left hand side is Willian oh. who has the silkiest touch and the lightest movement around the pitch. And I often say to my dad, who I go to football with, Anthony Robinson must look at Willian and think, how do you do that? How do you, <laughs> how do you control a football like that? We are both playing the same sport, but we're playing it in such different ways. And that was the same thought I had about Carolina Mukova and Maria Sakkari. There are lots of things that Maria Sakkari can do that Carolina Mukova can't. And... One of them, perhaps the most important of all, is stay fit. And yeah. I think anyone predicting Carolina Mukova to do well, as, as I have this tournament, I think you have, Catherine, as well, we are essentially predicting good health for Carolina yeah. Mukova because we trust the tennis. It's so good when she plays well. And, you know, Sakri was right there with her. There wasn't much between it them. It was a great match. It was a really yeah. good match. But just when it got tight... I trusted Mukova to be able to deliver on her talent and trust her game more than I trust Sakari, who gets a bit tight. And in that, in that final game, Sakari had already done well, brilliantly saving match points, as she so often does when she was behind. She sort of found her best tennis. But eventually she just had a volley on top of the net, Sakari, which she just dumped in the bottom of the net. And it, it was just the difference between them. I, I feel like Mukova wouldn't have done that with her sort of hand skills and soft touch up at the net, but Sakari just couldn't quite get it over the net and it ended up being the, I think, penultimate point and, and Mukova won it. Uh, and yeah, honestly, I think Mukova went into that match with a 2-0 head-to-head lead already. I was pretty confident that Mukova would win that just match-up-wise. Mm. Same, and she did. Well done, us. Mm. <laughs> um, don't, I don't feel quite so confident about the fact that I've got her going deep in the tournament, but would love to see it. Somebody wrap Carolina Mukova up in cotton wool for the next three days until she plays her next round. Uh, no other major notable results, I don't think, on the women's side of things today. Pagula wrapped up victory against Danielle Collins fairly straightforwardly just now. Two straight sets. Um, as we discussed in our draw preview show, Pagula just, she delivers, doesn't she? She doesn't. She Very doesn't rarely. let you down. She might no. hit a ceiling, but she does deliver. And Collins has been having a tough time recently. Kazakina is currently a set-up on Yulin Niemeyer, future Wimbledon champion, according to Hannah, who's back in charge of our Twitter. So if you don't follow us on Twitter, then rectify that, because you, Hannah is a treat. You can see how one throwaway comment can stay with you for the rest of your life. <laughs> She's she said that about Yulia Neymar what year and a half ago. It's very once. <laughs> it's very Andy Murray saying Caroline Garcia is going to be world number yes, one, isn't exactly, it? Yeah, yeah, that stayed with her for yeah. gosh, twelve years. <laughs> I think it might be. It's mm. over ten years now. Remember when I was going to watch every Maxime Cressy match? <laughs> Well, I don't do that. You've, you've <laughs> got a new French. You've got a well, new. He's, he's American, isn't well, he? Well, actually, David, you've got a few new Frenchies. I have, yeah. David is. <laughs> well, you're in the right place, David. Because yeah. I mean, maybe you'll be big into Americans in in a few months' time. Quite possible. Um, but right now, you're all about the French. Oh, well, it started in Lyon. <laughs> <laughs> And my good friend, who doesn't know who I am, Artifis, uh, who, yeah, won the title aged 18 and did what I said he'd do, with a bit of help from a retirement and a walkover and a disqualification. Um, in, in underwhelming ATP stats news, David, that he's the youngest ATP title winner this year. Okay, well, that's young enough for me. And and he also won me 210 points in the newsletter prediction. So sign up to the newsletter if you want to <laughs> find out who else I'm going for. Um, but then, and we actually went in his press conference today, didn't we, Catherine, when he arrived? We did, a first meeting for us yeah. with Artifice. Um It was just us and Matt Futterman of the New York Times in terms of uh, English. It was, it, you know, it was very much the... The indie kids that had that had heard about a new band, <laughs> you know, 
and we're going to see them at the local dive bar. Except it wasn't a local dive bar because it was actually press conference room two, uh, and it was a packed house. Yeah. He he, that could have been the main press conference room, and you'd have thought it was one of the the mm. big names in yeah. there. First time I've ever been called an indie kid, so <laughs> I'm quite quite chuffed. Um, but yeah, he was he was sweet, wasn't he? Eighteen years of age, all brand new to him, and. Um, and, and he handled himself really well, for, certainly in English, the part I could understand anyway. He's got the sweetness and swagger combo, yeah, which is the, the dream. He was sweet. He was delightful, really looked you in the eye. He was great at eye contact, which, you know, 18-year-old boys generally yeah, aren't, yeah. let alone when they're in a room full of strangers being grilled. But he had one of those things that I love about tennis players of this type he was curious and amused at us all being there. There was a, mm. there was a, There's a glint, glint he, in his he, eye. He wasn't dismissive of the process. He was hmm. genuinely quite interested in it, I think. Uh, that may change. Um, but, I mean, in terms of his performance, we talked about it a little bit the other day. But this, was, this wasn't spectacular. This was just authoritative. And he showed he has got something. And, uh, and yeah, I'm going to be following his progress very closely I, I suspect he won't get beyond the first round here because of Alejandro Davidovich Fakina and best of five sets but long term this guy has got the goods um, and yeah so that's that's my initial French player of interest and then my second one was first up on Susan Longland and it was like all my wishes came true on the opening day because I got back out on Longland which is my favourite court Media seats are still there, even though they've renovated. They still let us have those amazing seats. Um, it it became loud because they've got a French player in Constant Lestienne playing up against Karen Hatchinov. And Lestienne, if you've never seen him play, there's nobody else like him on the tour, I don't think. He, uh, we, we affectionately call him a wind-up merchant because he is just making fun of the game of tennis. He'll, uh, when I saw him play Cameron Norrie, I think, in Australia earlier this year, I and mean, he was more extreme than today, it was almost as though there wasn't a strategy other than to just annoy Cameron <laughs> Norrie. That was the strategy with off-pace shots. And when they're, when they're just not required, where you've got a simple put-away, instead he plays a slice forehand uh, or a drop shot or a lob. And, but he's a gifted guy. And he's just, from what you were both telling me, he's had a pretty terrible time with injury and he's been retiring from countless matches recently. But he went up against Hatchinov and absolutely took him apart for two sets he made him look so cumbersome and ordinary for two sets for six three six one and the crowd there's nothing like a french crowd going for a french player like that i mean i i've been watching this tournament for 25 years and i just didn't understand until i was in the stadium myself so if you ever get the chance get there I'm I'm so pleased that you've been able to experience it yet again on mm. on you know on day one match one it was it was such a revelation for you last year wasn't it and it's just fantastic that it's that it's happened again I mean I was completely stunned by this scoreline after two sets I mean David hinted at it there Lestien had lost eight matches in a row coming into Roland Garros three of those he'd retired in. I assumed he just wasn't fit, to be honest. Well, we um, talked David out of a Lestien prediction, didn't mm. we? We said, David, he's not fit. Yeah. And, and, and on the flip side, Hatchnov, you know, who I think we all find to be perhaps slightly frustrating as a tennis player, someone who seems to have so much at his disposal and yet is quite one-dimensional as a player, but... He has he has been very reliable in Grand Slams recently. I mean, he's and certainly at the French Open, he's never lost in the first round. So when he's what was it six three six one the yeah. first two sets and the look on his face, he was just having a, a horrible time, wasn't he? he? Was he was being made to look really ordinary by a guy who was just having his own way on the court? And I didn't watch this match as closely as you. I don't quite know how it turned round. every time I looked over Lestien seemed to be 
having a chat with a trainer or a doctor and perhaps perhaps those initial thoughts we had were actually even when he wasn't getting treatment he was just having a chit chat with (laughs) a medical professional um we were in the stands for a lot of it so we couldn't hear what was being said but he had a lot of leg rubs (laughs) and the compression socks that he played the first three sets of the match in he didn't play the last two sets of the match in so whether it was cramped i don't know certainly he lost because of the nature of his game there was about two-thirds of a set where he was serving at sort of half two-thirds pace but i just thought it was a tactic i just Mm. thought it was him being a troll (laughs) you know mixing things up and then and then he started having these chats with the trainer and i thought oh maybe there's something a bit wrong here he's almost like a snooker player who's thinking three four shots ahead with because he's playing combinations he's not trying to hit you off the court even though he does have real power because of his timing some one time he, he hit a moon ball on defence and used it as an approach shot to get into the net and then hit two volleys away for a winner. He he was throwing drop shots in and, and then he drilled Hatchinov with a forehand into his back, you know, when he got him in at the net. And and actually, look, you know, you might you may be thinking, hold on, didn't Hatchinov win? Why are you all banging on about this guy? And this is the effect he had on us. Yes, Hatchinov did win, and I gotta say, all credit to him, because a lot of people would have just not been able to handle that. And he, he dug in and he, he played professionally and he came back and won in five sets. And, and he gave a really nice interview to Marion Bartley on court afterwards, trying to kind of win over the crowd a little bit back and being honest and saying, listen, it's not easy playing him and all of you. <laughs> and, uh, and is there any chance I can just have one cheer from you guys? Hmm. And then they gave him a big, big ovation. So it was, it was well handled by him. Yeah, I I think he should be on your men's backhand list watch list. This is the sub list. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a beauty. It's a belter. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Lovely timing. Uh, and while we're on that subject, Matt, the fir- of lovely backhands, the first live tennis that what you watched at this French Open, I thought was a slightly left field choice, but you can't resist a fifth set. It was a very left field choice for me, to be honest. I'll, I will I will say that uh, David Goffin versus Hubert Hurkacz did not pop off the order of play for me. Uh, but you're right, I can't resist a deciding set. A, a deciding set takes precedence over any sort of preference I may have for a player. And I will basically watch a deciding set between any two players. I just think it's, you know, it's the sweet spot of tennis, isn't it? Everything on the line. Not that I don't like David Goffin and Hubert Hercatch as people. There's just... Sure, we, we hear you. Yeah. I yeah. Don't, I, Although, I, what I've, I don't need to keep talking, do I? I've, no, I've, I've made I'm my I'm going to bail you out clear. here and say what I was getting at in the segue there was what a lovely backhand David Goffin has. Yeah, and actually I do like watching David Goffin and, and in, his, in his pomp. So really it's just you, but <laughs> you were talking about. <laughs> yes, correct. Uh, so I went over and saw Hubert Hercouch win a fifth set. That's, that's what happened. So while David was having an out-of-body experience on Longlen watching Constantin Lestien, you were mm. watching a slightly mm. pedestrian fifth set won by Hubert Hercatch. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there was one funny moment which sort of typified their personalities, really, because I think most people would say they're probably two of the nicest people on the ATP tour, Hercatch and, and Goffin. That's, that's probably why the match didn't pop off the page for me I knew there wasn't going to be any aggro but there was quite a nice moment where um where her catch hit what what I can only describe as a god-awful drop shot he was he was already up by the net and didn't even manage to reach the net with his drop shot but I think it was it was so bad that it sort of flummoxed Goffin and he for some reason ran towards it even though it was clear it was never going over the net and tripped and it looked like he'd rolled his ankle for a moment and and her catch took it upon him to grabbed the towels off David Goffin's chair and walked round to the other side of the net and, and help him. It was, it, it, it was a sweet moment, but Goffin had real support from the, from the crowd. I think there was some sort of Francophone allegiance there. They were really trying to get behind him. But once he went to break down, he just, he just got nowhere near Hercatch's serve and Hercatch survives, even if it wasn't particularly convincing. 
Speaking of god-awful drop shots, <laughs> uh, Yuri Vesely played one on one of his set points against oh, yeah. Stefanos Tsitsipas earlier on today. These were three points that he had in the fourth set tiebreak to take the match into a fifth set. He had Tsitsipas on the ropes. He had three consecutive set points. And what was, I'm going to politely describe as, not the most high-quality tiebreak I've ever seen <laughs> from either player. <laughs> um, and look, credit to, to Sitspass. He pulled it out of the bag when he, when he needed to. Absolutely really dug his heels in. Okay, he got, he got one or two gifts. It was a truly dreadful drop shot that, that Vesely played and Sitspass just lapped it up. But I think the other two, the other two set points Sitsipas saved fair and square, you know, produced the serve and the forehand when he needed to. And actually on on match point, it was a match point on on Vesely's serve, he won it with a with a chip backhand return. And it was it felt like such a repeatable point. It felt like a real pattern. Chip backhand return. Vesely wasn't able to get too much on it. Got a midcourt ball, smashed away the forehand commandingly. It was beautiful stuff, but Look, I didn't see all of this match. It was quite a lengthy one. Um, the second match of the day on Chatrier, I, I did think that, as we discussed a couple of days ago, I'm worried about Sitsipas. All is not right with him. And I think Vesely can be dangerous on clay. I saw him beat Djokovic at Monte Carlo a few years ago. And OK, it was a few years ago, but that's still in his muscle memory, you know? And he's a big server, which Sitsipas doesn't always enjoy. It's less of a a problem for him on clay because he has that bit more time on the ball, but he still doesn't love it, I don't think. So it didn't massively take me aback that this was a little bit of a struggle for Sitsipas, but this match also didn't change any of my feelings about Sitsipas being in a p- tough spot, potentially, this tournament. Yeah, he doesn't give me a great deal of confidence on his behalf that he's going to be, well, I certainly don't think he's going to be winning this tournament. And I think if he can get to his sort of seeded position, he'll be doing well. So if he can get to play Alcaraz in the quarterfinals, I think he'll have done pretty well, really, given the, the sort of physical position he, he looks in. I mean, he did make a quite a point in his pre-tournament press conference that a couple of times in the years that he did well here, that he'd had a struggle in the first round. And then he'd found his way and he ended up reaching the final and very nearly beating Novak Djokovic. So, but I kind of think that is, that's what you have to tell yourself and remind yourself when you're one of these players who's just sort of searching searching for something. And he really is searching for form at the moment. And, and, And more than just form, I think, you know identity as a mm. tennis player and as a person right now yeah i think he really got away with one today i would say vesely served for the opening set and had multiple set points as you said in the fourth set and won the third i mean there were there were opportunities there for vesely to win three of those four sets for sure uh was pretty critical of his own performance impressed you know very very pleased with, as you said, his sort of fighting spirit. And he, he didn't, uh, you know, he never sort of checked out of the match or anything. He was always locked in. But he, he described it as incredibly inconsistent and said that his footwork was lousy and just generally was pretty pretty unimpressed with how he played. Um, and Vesley is dangerous. I used to play a lot of sort of half-court singles at school. If there were too many people to play on two courts, you know, you'd use half a court each. And I feel like Vesely would be an absolute nightmare in half-court singles. If you take away the sort of movement aspect, and I think Sitsipas, you know, when they got into rallies, Sitsipas was able to sort of manoeuvre him around. But when it was just straight shot-making and hitting and talent in the hands, Vesely is very underrated I think and mm. he's been injured since the US Open basically he's sort of on the comeback at the moment and that was a that was a tricky round one and yeah good for Sitspass to get through it but a long way from his best do you know what he is David Vesely tricky no agricultural agricultural wow. yeah he looks like he could do some farm work <laughs> <laughs> 
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So that was pretty much the uh, the meat of day one of Roland Garros. Tomorrow, Monday, is when... I feel like not to do down today. It was a really good start, um, and you know, particularly for David. Uh, but it feels like it still feels like tomorrow is you know yeah, when I the mean, red carpet gets laid down. It, well, it's it's like you said. It, it, it's always been a a slow burn start, but it's it's felt more of an equal slate of matches this year than ever before. Uh, but but inevitably, it is, there is a dilution of it. But they have held back the biggest names. So we get to really launch the thing again tomorrow. Yeah, I've, I've come to quite like the Sunday soft launch of the tournament. Yes, that's a good way <laughs> like, of putting it. Um, it's just generally a little bit more manageable and digestible. Speaking as someone who gets overwhelmed and stressed. Actually, that's a good point, actually. Matt was less overwhelmed Matt today than he sometimes today. is <laughs> he was there's in still, his element there's still plenty to watch plenty going on you can literally pop from one good match to another but it's it's just a little bit more relaxing than all the other i will never f- forget your first australian open when you were just in front of the screens and i just i was just trying to work out what what's what's wrong it was like a beautiful mind when you know the the things appear in the air it was it was like that what's wrong (laughs) this is all great why did i because i know it's great that's not the point it's too great look david you might get that tomorrow this is what is on the order of play for tomorrow day two of ronald garros starting on chatre with plushkova Carolina Plushkova, that is, against Sloane Stevens, which, in the words of Matt Roberts, is is very 2018, isn't it? Plushkova <laughs> um, is suddenly the, somehow the 16th seed. How has that happened? Don't know, but there we go. Yeah. Uh, second on Chatria is Novak Djokovic against, and I'm going to have to click through to get the first name here because, full disclosure, don't know this guy, Alexander Kovacevic, and he is American. Although um, Djokovic knows about him because he says he has Serbian ancestry and and therefore he seemed quite effusive about the the idea of playing him. I dare say he also likes his chances, (laughs) to be honest. Uh, Not that he he is always very full in his praise for for and and respect for opponents but i mean you know that's not a bad draw it's not a bad draw um caroline garcia is next up on chatrier against wang Yu of china uh that's going to be interesting isn't it and i i know not to ask for caroline garcia related predictions from anyone on the tennis podcast so i'll leave that there just to say i've just quickly looked up 
Kalina Pliskova's record. She's reached the quarterfinals of the last two slams. The US Open and the Australian Open. I had... She's done that quietly. I had <laughs> wiped that from my memory. We, we presumably talked about... We were at them. <laughs> How do we not know that? Who did she play? Uh, at the US Open, she beat Magda Lynette, Marie Buskova, Belinda Bengchik's Victoria Azarenka. That's a very good run. That's a great run. And then lost to Rina Savalenka. And then in Australia... I feel ashamed. She beat Shi Yu Wong, Yulia Putintseva, Bavaro Kucheva and Zhang Shui. Right. OK. OK, I forgive Look, myself for the Australian ap- Open. <laughs> Apologies, folks, for not covering those results in more but detail. But I don't forgive myself for the US Open. Uh, the first night session match of the French Open 2023. This, remember, is the match deemed the match of the day by the tournament. It's Yannick Sinner against Alexandre Muller, who is French. And I give them, you know, I understand that the Frenchness uh, is part of the algorithm uh, but that is disappointing. Yeah, well, I think I think it was an opportunity for Emily Moresmo and the tournament to make a statement right at the beginning of the tournament and accept and acknowledge, as she accepted and acknowledged at the time last year, having spoken to you for a second time, that, yeah, they needed to probably do a better job of... Um, of scheduling the matches um both in terms of how many women's matches were put up first on the day before people really get in their seats and more importantly having more night session primetime matches involving women given that they only had one last year and look it's only day one it's only day one of them so there's plenty of time and absolutely she should and they should be given chance to show that that they are going to treat things differently to last year but i think that this was an opportunity if you're not going to have alcaraz or djokovic on the night session which would have been perfectly understandable if they had then this was your chance to have one of the women's matches and make a statement that we we value women equally and we really want to show them yeah, you've got a French player as the fifth seed in the women's. Mm. You know, she she could very justifiably be in that uh, that night session match on court. Suzanne Longlen. It starts with Benoit Pair against Cameron Norrie. Belinda Bencic second up. Carlos Alcaraz kicks off on Longlen. I love that. I mean, unfortunately, I don't think I can go and watch it because I'm going to be commentating. But please, one of you go and see that. I. Th- I think we will I, both... I can probably stretch yeah. to that. Yeah. We'll, we'll manage <laughs> Matt, go and watch Carlos Alcaraz. Oh, OK, then. <laughs> Last up on there, it's Kvitova against Cocciaretto. Uh, Mathieu tomorrow is Kayla Day against Christina Medenovic. Fabio Fanini against Felix Auger-Eliassim. Alina Svitolina plays on Simone Mathieu tomorrow. And Alina Svitolina won the title yesterday in... Strasbourg. Strasbourg. I was going to say um, Lyon, but of course that's where Artifis won his title. And again, we we covered her getting into the final a couple of days ago. Well, she blooming well won that final, and it's it's brilliant. And that's a tough draw for a Trevisan in uh, in the opening round. Trevisan loves to play here, doesn't Svitolina she? Svitolina donated all of her prize money to people who've suffered in Ukraine as wow. well. Her compatriots and uh, and that's that's wonderful she's a great story and then david last on simon mathieu tomorrow artifice against alejandro davidovich vakina i mean that's that's a good time isn't it i mm. might have to pop my head in there yes, for about four I, hours I, th- I think we'll be <laughs> popping our heads in there interestingly in the french portion of the artifice press conference he was asked about the turnaround from from Lyon to, to coming here and also the fact that this is his first Grand Slam. He's never played five never sets. Never played five sets before. Um, and, you know, even for players with a lot more experience than him, it can be very, very tricky to win the week before a slam and carry mm. that through yeah. into said slam. Um, and he said, look, physically he's fine, not daunted by five sets at all. He said he's always trained to play five sets but he did acknowledge that emotionally best of five sets is different 
He said, yeah. c'est plus compliqué. And he said, I don't know exactly how until I'm in the moment, but he realized that the emotional rhythms of the match are something you can't prepare for in the same way you can for the, the physical side of things, which again, like incredibly incisive stuff for, for yeah. an 18 year old. I found his poise uh, astonishing, really. Uh, on just a couple more I wanted to pick out from tomorrow. Court 14, you'll find the former champion, Stan Rinka against Albert Ramos Vinulas. And Court 6 tomorrow is where you'll find multiple finalist Dominic Team. Wow. I mean, he didn't get a wildcard Dominic Team, and now he's been shoved on Court 6. Find that quite sad i really do I, I don't know the circumstances by which he didn't get a wild card and you know i, I know that they're they're typically given to french players mostly and and a lot of young players but i think dominic team is is somebody who warrants looking after yeah i mean he he didn't have to qualify. He eventually got in by virtue of um, withdrawals, didn't yeah. he? But it was touch and go it there was, for a while. It was Rafael Nadal's withdrawal that got team in. Oh, that's mm. sad and poetic. Yeah, don't feel you have to respond, you know, react to that in the moment. I feel like that takes some processing, doesn't it? Mm. We are on a podcast, though, so I do have to react to it in the moment. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> uh, why don't we move on to talk about... Our mascots. Oh, why don't we? And our performances on day one of the French Open. Okay. We all got points, David. Well, I'm at a roll, I am. Two in two. Yeah, you are a bit. Uh, I have got Xenia as my mascot, and Luca Puy scored us points today. David, you and Maisie scored points with... Yeah, Maisie, you and I, and Camilla Georgi (laughs) did, did something about it as well. I've just notched up another 15 points to add to our 210 point haul and, from the other day and matt and darwin yep we scored points thanks to maya sharif there was a point in the day when matt was having an absolute crisis about the fact that magdalena <laughs> freck was winning easily because he was like oh, i so nearly went for freck <laughs> mm. If Freck had won for, for the loss of, what, one or two games and then Sharif had lost, I would have kicked myself. But we're fine. <laughs> we have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. Hey. We have Phoebe, our lovely, lovely mascot. We, see, we received a photo of Phoebe, didn't we? Uh, reacting to the news that she's our first three-peat mascot. Aww. and. Phoebe was delighted about it. Um, we have Billie Jean, who's been frolicking around in the uh, London sun- sunshine. She went out in Soho last night, did oh, Billie Jean. How lovely. Mm. She is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. And Matt, we have shout-outs. We do. First of this year's French Open for Ian Farrand in Winchester. All right, Ian. Hello, Ian. Ian says, I love all things tennis podcast, but for me, the perfect pod episode would include Catherine ranting about faff, David being pumped, <laughs> and Matt telling me something about a player I know little about. It's literally every episode, Ian. <laughs> Got it. Plus, ideally, a mention of Haddad Meyer in David's direction. All right, Ian. <laughs> I almost picked her to lose tomorrow. I can't remember who she plays, but I thought, hmm... I no longer have her in my consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Ian. Cheers, Ian. Had Ed Meyer plays Tatiana Maria tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's going to beat Tatiana Maria. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> We've also got Caro Zotter from oh. Salzburg. Hi, Caro. Hello, Caro. Caro says, Spotify's yearly wrapped. Rap informed me that in 2022, I listened to 20,643 minutes of the pod, <laughs> which is a little over two full weeks. Caro, you're a legend. There was a moment there where I thought you were going to say hours, <laughs> and I was really concerned for Caro. <laughs> and us, maybe, a little bit. <laughs> That's really awesome, yeah. Caro. Thank you. That's incredibly lovely. I'm touched. Um, I can't think of any ca- tennis Caros or tennis Ians, so I hope our third shout-out is for a tennis name. Well, it's for Josephine Maybom. 
And you may remember very recently we had Karen Maybom. Yes. And Karen is Josephine's mother. Oh. Isn't that lovely? Josephine yes. is in Lausanne in Switzerland. Mother-daughter shout-outs. Mm. That's great. And I'm still struggling with a, with a tennis-related Josephine, Josephine, I'm afraid. I'm so sorry. But if anybody I'm can Josephine think of one... in my flying machine. Who needs a tennis player? You can get a Catherine song out of it. That was fabulous. <laughs> Look, we were desperate. <laughs> Thanks, Josephine. Thank you ever so much, Josephine. Thanks to all of our friends of the tennis podcast. It's thanks to you that we are here talking about tennis and that Matt and I are going to, you know, get to go and watch Carlos Alcaraz on Long Lend tomorrow and call it work. Being made to. Being made to. <laughs> That's what's coming up tomorrow. We'll, of course, do a tennis podcast at the end of it all. We hope you'll be listening. We'll speak to you then. 